enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited to talk to you again. But one of my new and favorite sponsors and brands that I'm working with, a brand that has signed up to be part of the Rambling Runner podcast for a while, and I'm just so excited to be working with them. It's OS First. It's a sock and compression company that I've been wearing now for over a month, and I am a huge fan of, really, really big fan of. And, you know, when you get a great pair of socks, it just feels wonderful. It really does. As much as I love running shoes and Lord knows I do. Getting a great pair of socks is so helpful. And you don't have to just trust me. They have some of the best ultra runners as well in their stable of athletes, people like Katja Corbett, who, you know, who really love their stuff as well. Their calf sleeves, their socks, they have plantar fasciitis socks, they have bunion socks. They got so many different options to choose from. And they're all really good. They really are. And you should head over to them. Go to osfirst.com. That's os1st.com. And use code rambling to save 15%. But also, and they are very proud of this, they're not a big box store purveyor. So you can go to your local stores, your local running stores. They really, really believe in that partnership. You won't be able to use my code there. But if you're not going to buy online, Go to a local running store and go search out OS First for some of the best socks and compression sleeves around. So here is a great conversation that I was so excited to have with Jordan Marie Daniel. Jordan was on the show about two years ago, and I was so excited to have her as part of the Rambling Runner Summit. So this will be the second um, – it's the second – uh, session that we had on the summit that I'm going to have on the show. I'm not going to put all of them on there, but again, some of these conversations were just so good. I did want to have one or two on the podcast. This will be the second one. We had my conversation with Mario Fraioli on the on the podcast on Monday, and I was excited to get Jordan Marie Daniel as part of the summit and to talk to her because she has been doing something that so many people want to, if not have already invested a large portion of their life into, and that is running for a cause that you firmly and truly believe in while also running for yourself and you have goals and you have dreams and balancing the two. And sometimes that can be you know, a lot easier said than done. So Jordan talks a little bit about her history and what she's gone through in terms of finding something that she not only firmly believes in, but also marrying it to her running and the travails that come with that. Because it's not as simple as, okay, I've combined two things that I love, poof, magic. It's going to happen. Um, it's harder than that because all of a sudden something that you can use as escapism or something that can ease stress, in this case running, now is tied to a part of your life that while you might be passionate about can also be something that you know, you spend a lot of emotional and mental energy in all by yourself or all you know as, as part of something that you're doing day in and day out and marrying it to running can then change running a little bit. And we talk a lot about that and uh, how she has worked through that. And I, th I just found this conversation to be so enlightening. And, and Jordan is just somebody who is, um, I mean, she's a, she's a force of nature. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. This woman is absolutely remarkable. She spends, you know, 40, 50 hours a week in this high pressure job uh, at UCLA and, and, you know, and working on COVID-19 and a lot of other health, um, health research. And on top of that, 
she spends, I think, the same amount of time, another 40, 50 hours, really being an ambassador and advocate for the things and causes that she firmly believes in. And it's just remarkable to witness. So I couldn't think of a better person to talk about this topic. So before we get into it, last thing, I want to advise you, hey, go listen to these episodes on Spotify. I say that because they're rolling out a new feature. I was really so delighted that they reached out to me as one of the very few podcasts are going to be doing this. Um, They're going to kind of slow roll a new feature out. They chose a few podcasts to work with, and I was excited to be one of them. Basically, a question and answer feature in in their mobile podcast player. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a question in the Spotify, um, if you go to Spotify, if you click on this episode, you'll see that there's a question embedded in the show notes, and you'll be able to answer that question. And anyone who is, um, again, kind of looking through the show notes or picking up this episode on Spotify can see your answer. And I can see your answer. And we can have a little bit of a community feel here. I know we get that uh, a little bit on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook, but it'll be interesting to have that same sort of thing tied directly to the podcast player that you're listening to the show in. So it's capped at one question per episode that I can ask and that you can answer. And I'm excited to ask that question. So today, and I'll repeat this in the outro, the question is, if you have signed up for a race that you plan on doing before June 1st, an in-person race, what race will that be? So go answer that question, head over to Spotify, listen to this and all other Rambling Runner podcast episodes. I can't wait to hear or see your response. And let's get into it with Jordan Marie Daniel. Jordan, thank you so much for coming to the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit. It is an honor to talk to you again. Uh, you were on the show on the Rambling Runner podcast a while back, and you've been on a lot of other podcasts and other media as well uh, in, in the years uh, since then. And you've just done extraordinary work in a lot of ways, in a lot of different areas. But one topic that affects so many people in the dedicated amateur runner space is the idea of running for a cause of some kind, right? So you'll have people who will either enter a race that they believe in, but even more so really putting themselves out there. So say people running the Boston Marathon who didn't qualify, who you know, want to raise money for something. And, and that whole idea of raising money and not raising money, the whole idea of, of running for a cause but at the same time, running for themselves, it isn't all just about the cause, even as driven and as connected to a cause as someone may be, we're also running for our own enjoyment and or running for, for certain goals. And those two things, you know, while they may have different motivations, can kind of coalesce into one, you know, training cycle and ultimately one race. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk about this than you. Yeah, yeah, it's... um. It's definitely very new to me in this space. Um, but first, I just want to say hi to everyone for tuning in and sharing this virtual space. It's um, an absolute honor and a pleasure to be a guest and a voice. Thank you so much and really appreciate your continued support and um, just the visibility you've helped, not just me, but those that I'm supporting and want to help give visibility to, Matt. So I thank you a lot. Um, and really appreciate your platform. So thank you all for joining. Um, I'm tuning in from Los Angeles, which is also known as Town of the Lands. If you um, want to drop in the chat box where you're tuning in from, that'd be great to see. And if you know those indigenous place names and, and lands that you're on, please put that in the chat box. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, running 
for a cause for me, as I call it, in this almost two years now, um, running with purpose and running for justice. And that's what it represents for me. And it's been over the last several years that I've seen the importance of running and how it can be a tool and a platform and a way of movement to carry a message, to carry prayers, to carry awareness about something um, you know, that we're fighting for, that we're passionate about. And I really got to see that firsthand back in August of 2016 when I welcomed the Standing Rock youth who ran 2,000 miles from Cannonball, North Dakota to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline. And they were going to come to D.C. to deliver a petition to President Barack Obama to oppose this and have conversations with the government. And I was asked because my main identity pretty much my whole life is Jordan the athlete, Jordan the runner, um, you know, Jordan native in DC when I was living there for five years. And so they're like, Jordan, you should do something to welcome the youth. And I had never community organized before. I'd always been a supporter and showed up at rallies and marches and protests and things that I care about. But I never saw myself as a community organizer or a voice in that space. I just wanted to volunteer and help out. But I was like, well, I'm a runner. Hopefully they'll be okay with running another two or three miles. Um, and so I organized a run for water rally um, and prayer run with a friend of mine from the Supreme Court to the Army Corps of Engineers headquarters in D.C. And so we spent that whole day just, um, you know, trying to have conversations with those officials that were coming in and out of that building, which were responsible for, um, you know, pushing those permits through and violating human rights and violating treaty rights um, and not really listening to Standing Rock and the voices that have been opposing this for years. Um, and so that was my first kind of aha moment, light bulb that showed me that running can carry a specific message. And it's not always just about running fast, being the best, being your most fit, best self, not running to make a team or anything, because that's how I always viewed running, because that's been in my family. I'm a fourth generation runner. And I've always just been, once I get to the starting line, it's about you and it's about your own goals and your passions for your running. And so those youth, they showed me that running is a powerful tool to carry these messages and to raise awareness about something. Um, but it took me a couple of years until 2019, where I actually intersected advocacy and my passion of running on a competitive platform. Um, and that's what happened at the 2019 Boston Marathon, where I dedicated 26 miles um, to 26 missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and 26 prayers for them and their families and their communities. And I've been doing it ever since. So in that interim, so that roughly three years, what were maybe some of the reasons that you didn't immediately take that leap into what, you, what you've done since, since then? Yeah, I, it was... Honestly, it's like I, I just never thought of the idea to bring it into a competitive platform. Mm -hmm. And then also now that I'm thinking and reflecting on it, especially after my first prayer run, I kind of just was like, maybe this isn't the appropriate space to bring this into. You know, I had friends that have done prayer runs to raise awareness about Bears Ears. Um, you know, prayer runs for Protect Oak Flat and all of these other you know, big moments in our communities that they're fighting for, for their own land rights, for their own access to these lands to continue their ceremonies and traditions and their, and to pass these on to the next generations. 
um, you know, I just always saw them as just separate. And so as I have been learning in this advocacy space, you know, I kind of just felt like it just got to a certain point where I invested myself and wanted to hold myself accountable and making sure I was educating myself to learn more about the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, because in my family, we do have, you know, relatives that have been murdered and taken. We do, it's impacted us directly or indirectly. And so I wanted to learn from the advocates. I wanted to learn from the families. And so as I was on my own learning journey from 2016 to 2019 and just learning more about it, um, it just got to a point where I was frustrated. I felt like no one outside of it felt like no one outside of indigenous communities and, and conversations cared about this issue where 2016, we had 5,712 missing indigenous women, you know, reported, but only 116 were logged into the Department of Justice Federal Database. And just all of these really heartbreaking statistics and knowing that I'm, you know, I'm a statistic within this epidemic, you know, my relatives, my best friends, my sisters, my mom, my grandma, you know, my nieces and nephews, we are all part of this, you know, potentially like epidemic of being impacted by by directly that we are, you know, vulnerable, we are targets, we have targets on our backs when it comes to this violence, this racism, um, and this perpetual cycle. And so I, I felt like no one cared that another Native woman was murdered. And the breaking point for me was the death of Savannah LaFontaine Greywind in 2017, right before I moved to LA. And the, her her case luckily made headline national, international news, but it just made me feel like there are hundreds and thousands of other indigenous relatives that you know don't get the support and help that they need. And so what led to me at the 2019 Boston Marathon, it was just a frustration breaking point where I felt like no one cares. And, you know, I, I, I feel bad because I never gave enough credit to our running community because that's the only community that I can specifically say that I always felt accepted in. Um, I never had to worry about the color of my skin and feeling ashamed in that community. It was always very welcoming and it was always about team togetherness and camaraderie. It was always about how you showed up at the starting line and how you finished. Um, And I never felt judged and I never felt that racism or prejudice. And so when it got to the Boston Marathon, I felt, you know, no one cared, even the running community, they didn't care. And so I wanted to be intentional and create that space and that run over the course to be for our relatives and to give back to them, to let them know that I'm one of many that are still thinking about them and wondering about them and praying and hoping for justice so that our next generations don't have targets on their backs and that we aren't having to continuously face this epidemic and this trauma and this pain and healing, um, you know, that is always so difficult for so many people. And, um, you know, with one post, you know, a couple of days later after the marathon, it went viral and all of this attention and their names were being reshared, retweeted articles, podcast opportunities. And, you know, I feel bad that I never gave the running community enough credit, but it's about us just not being informed. And so many people reached out saying they just had no idea that they, they never knew that this was even an issue, never knew it was something to ask about or think about. Um, but it's a new perspective that so many folks in the running community now have. And now it's beauty, it's being beautifully intersected with Black lives and running for justice for them and elevating each other's voices and coming together and to raise awareness about 
you know, what our communities are, are facing and how it's being impacted. Yeah. And just your running journey is interesting because you're at this point now that you just so eloquently, um, you know, talked about, but it wasn't always, it's almost like it's come full circle because you mentioned before you're a fourth generation runner in that earlier in your life. And I know this because we've talked about this a little bit, that it wasn't as if, you know, you were oh, you're running for yourself and now you're running for justice and running for a cause. And as you put it, running for a purpose, it seems to have been more full circle than that in terms of your own evolution as a runner. Yeah, I would say when I was little, it was running because my family ran and it was really cool and neat and felt like I was in this really fun, cool club that I'm like accepted into and born into. Um, But then as I got older in high school and in college, it felt like now I'm running for representation. I'm a native athlete. I'm a native high school athlete. I'm a collegiate D1 athlete representing not just me and my family, but like my cousins and nephews and hopefully paving a, a way forward for representation and us, you know, sending that message that we belong in these spaces too, and that we can have these opportunities to, you know, succeed. And now it's come to, now it's running for those that can't run. It's running to be a voice for those that have no voice anymore and sharing this platform because this isn't mine anymore. And I'm totally fine that it's not about me. I still have my personal running ambitions. I still want to get the marathon Olympic trials, um, you know, qualifying time. And I'm luckily in a space where I'm getting coaching and working on some plans and have some really exciting things coming up over the next four years. But um, it now it's just a platform of giving visibility to those that I care much so much about the advocates, the families, the relatives that have been taken and navigating how to um, still run for myself. And it's something that I'm still learning. It's, it's a, Healing is not linear. And this journey of running for advocacy and running for them in prayer has been really hard mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. I know in 2019, um, you know, I suffered really bad depression and I was having insomnia. I was having nightmares, panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I completely disconnected myself from friends. All I wanted was my parents and my partner. And unless I had to go to work, or go to run, all I wanted to do is just stay in bed and just like cry because I had no way to decompress and to let go of this, the hardship of these prayer runs, because I'm never, I've never been used to going into a race exhausted already mentally. I usually have my own routine, my snacks, my music, my specific movies that I like, like everything that I, that always makes me feel prepared. But because I was spending the the first like one or two weeks before a race doing the research to find their names, potentially like trying to talk to family to get their permission to run for them and if it was okay, and just finding out the details, specific heartbreaking details of what happened to them and caring with that and sitting with that for those prayer runs and after. So I had no way to to decompress from it, to to detach from it. And so I was carrying these these um you know, these heartbreaking moments in, 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 in their lives and their families and in our communities, and then constantly continuously seeing missing flyers, you know, people that I know sharing, you know, updates about, you know, their loved one who just went missing. And so um, it just got to a breaking point where 2019 was incredibly hard, but incredibly fulfilling 
Um, and it's something that I know I'm going to continue to do, but I'm on my own healing journey and with an indigenous therapist right now, which makes all the difference in the world to be able to work with someone and talk with someone that is from your communities. And that Mm. looks like you to understand, um, what's going on, but also, you know, figuring out what my boundaries are to how to protect myself so that I can still compete at the high level that I want while also still being intentional and giving visibility to the issues that I care so much about. Thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, that's a very vulnerable thing to share. And I mean, I really appreciate it. And I think for so many people, if they're running for a cause or issue or what have you, that really touches their lives. I can see how this, that they would have a similar, similar story, right? I'm thinking of, you know, a parent who's running for CF because their child has cystic fibrosis, right? So for them, the issue is ever present in their life. And then now, because they're now running with this purpose in mind, now that is also part of their running life, whereas maybe it wasn't before. So now running isn't just about performance and potentially even escapism at, at yeah. times. Now it's not. Now these things are interconnected, uh, for for much of the year. So what was it like for you trying to keep them connected while at the same time putting your, you know, getting yourself to the point where you can now function just day to day the way you had prior to making this emotional and physical investment? I had to ask for help and I am not good at doing that. I I tend to take on the weight of the world and spread myself thin because It's something that I've always believed in since I was little when I went through my coming of age ceremony when you become a woman and you get your your Indian name. Well, I earned mine and I would say I really didn't earn it until I was in my 20s. And I always felt like my whole life, I felt like I, I wasn't honoring my ancestors and wasn't honoring the name that was given to me, which is basically translating to bringing our community together, um, making the, the sacred hoop, you know, full. And that felt like a big responsibility when you're 12 years old. And um, I would say in my mid-20s, when I started community organizing and being invested in my relatives and our communities and trying to bring us together, um, you know, for a greater purpose um, and for that transformational change, you know, I finally felt like I was like, oh, I earned this name finally. Like, this is what I meant to be doing. And, you know, that's what I have been invested in every day ever since. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that I, I actually do have a full-time job. Everyone always sees me on Instagram, you know, talking about running, talking about Rising Hearts and all of the amazing programming, which is an organization that I founded back in 2016. Um, but my full-time day job is at UCLA. I work in the School of Medicine as a project manager and outreach coordinator. And um, now in this last year, we've been all fully focusing on COVID-related studies in the clinical vaccine trials. And so um, I have two full-time jobs while trying to train and also take care of myself. Um, So it came down to me asking for help, finally. And that meant, Jordan, you know, you need to have your family, you need to have your partner be there for support, but you need to learn how to navigate and manage your anxiety attacks. You need to learn the techniques and tools if there are any that can help you not go down that hole when they do that, you can see them coming, that you know how to manage them and stop them before they get worse. And that's what inspired me to reach out um, to indigenous circle of wellness and have an indigenous therapist. And I learned a lot. I learned so much 
about things in my life that have happened to me from when I was little, experiencing violence in the home and violence in relationships and, you know, all of the things that I've had to overcome, you know, along with the successes that I've been able to have, um, understanding and interweaving them together to create a plan for me to manage and to be able to, you know, accept that I am going to have anxiety attacks. I am very prone to anxiety and panic attacks in stressful moments, and I need to learn how to, to manage them. And that also meant me reaching out more to my partner and to my family and to my closest friends that have always been supporters of mine to, you know, really communicate with them what's going on with me, because I tend to just be quiet and not really mention anything that I'm going through. And I just really wanted to take my my own mental health and self-care really seriously, especially if I'm going to be continuing down this road of running for justice and running with purpose for, you know, not just Indigenous lives taken by this violence, but also Black lives and other bodies that have been taken injusticely. And, you know, that just meant if running can't be my outlet for stress and to like disconnect from work and life aside from running and training for your goals, that, that just led me to be like, I'm going to do yoga and try all these other things out, which I love so much, which is what inspired me to create the program Indigenous Wellness to Movement, which we host up to 10 to 15 classes a month of yoga, Pilates, dance, partner therapeutic massage, and having all of these classes, a majority of them being led and taught by Indigenous wellness instructors and athletes, while also opening up a specific amount of slots, you know, to non-native folks. So that way we are being, we're working together. We are learning from each other. We're building community and intersectionality within the wellness and running community. Um, and so I'm really liking my new routine of what else I can be doing. And that's not just running um, and, and being able to take care of myself that way. Yeah. And one thing that I know a lot of people get very hesitant around, and, and this is something that you've approach, you know, and not only with some work you're talking about now, but also some of the nonprofit work and other advocacy work that you do is just the communication piece. So people might say, hey, I do want to run for a purpose and this is my purpose. And I, everything in my being points me in this direction, but the outreach and communication to friends, to family, to people beyond that, um, that realm, that's where they might struggle and they might view it as salesy or spammy, or they just, they don't want to make other people uncomfortable. And then that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. So how did you work through that? I just had to tell myself, you're talking yourself out of it when you start making up those excuses, because you can't assume that your friends or family or those organizations are going to feel and think that way, that, oh, you're just going to be a nuisance or adding or a burden to them. You're just assuming and you're making excuses for yourself to not do it, to stay enclosed with yourself and kind of in your own protective bubble that you're creating. And so it, I had to really actively be conscious and mindful that if I, if I notice myself speaking that way, like, oh, I, I really want to talk to Ariel, who's my sister bestie. And as close as we are, like silliness, craziness, everything that we've done together, there are so many times where I just like stop myself because I'm thinking about her life. She's a PhD student. She's doing this research, you know, um, in violence and relationships and, and so much more and founding another organization. Like I, I know she's busy. And so my excuse is, well, I know she's busy. Like, I don't, I don't I'm not going to text her today, but it's being proactive and just saying you need to do it. And 
it, it brings that, it builds that bridge of understanding and us being able to talk to each other, because I feel like we take that for granted so much of not reaching out. And I think this pandemic too has forced me to reach out to people, text people that I haven't texted in a long time, especially friends that I was really close with and organized with back in DC and back in Maine. Um, And it just made me want to reach out and check in on them, make sure that they're taking care of themselves and they have what they need. And then that just builds this bridge of communication of checking in on each other. And now it's become a regular thing. Um, But that's all part of like our own self-care in being able to take care of ourselves and in being able to have that strength and have that, you know, courage and resilience to, to keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other, running one foot in front of the other, um, to keep fighting, you know, for something better, for a better future for our next generations. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to every plate.com entering code rambling runner 179 today that's up to a hundred and four dollar value our next partner has a product that i use literally every day i started taking athletic greens because i heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics people like rich roll and tim ferris who used it all the time And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should, too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery. Literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence. Uh, but it's it's legit, and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day 
day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. And how have you balanced the the two pieces of you know educating people on what you believe in and what you want them to know and then also asking them to be a part or to play a role or to do some sort of task related to what's going on either in the moment with your purpose or further down the line? I'm not about cancel culture. And I, I've seen cancel culture happen a lot, especially in the last couple of years due to the political atmosphere that's been around us and everything in between and folks saying, keep politics out of the sports. Um, it's I, I'm about bringing people together. I, I truly feel like that's what I was meant to do. And I always like to preface with saying on my platforms and personal conversations and emails of we're going to get it wrong. Be okay with saying it wrong and making a mistake as long as you own up to it and continue and be proactive in your education. And it's just about having conversations and dialogue. It's about you know, talking with those who may not agree with you. And it's about hopefully putting out a new perspective out there for other folks who may have just been ignorant and just not known, you know, to have these conversations so that they have these issues at the forefront of their, of their mind thinking, wow, these, these issues really do exist. And we're getting, I'm getting a firsthand experience by talking to this person who has lived it or is fighting for it. And you know, I try to, you know, push out webinars, panels, you know, community events for people to participate in, because that's how we can bring people together. And I always like to say, too, is like all are welcome. You know, we are learning from each other. And my favorite saying that's in Lakota, Matakmiya Yasin, we are all related. You know, I was raised Lakota and raised in a way where we are related. We are going to take care of our own kin, our own relatives and our community. but that we are much, we are part of a much bigger family because we are all related at the end of the day. We need to be good relatives to each other. And it's, it's just part of that bringing the community together and putting every opportunity out there for those to take that first step in their education of unlearning and relearning to be more informed and to be more involved. And I always put out other opportunities of how you can support how you can donate, who you can follow, how you can reshare, how you can sign up. Like there's just so many other different kinds of mediums that people can participate in. And that's a great point. And I'd be able to witness that firsthand because I'm on your newsletter list. I follow you on social media and, and many other people too. And you're not the only one who does this well, but you do do it particularly well is that you're not just like, hey, this is what I believe in and this is how you can help. This is what I believe in. You, can help. you provide a full panoply of options in terms of not only how people can get involved, but how they can learn more. And you do it in even topics that are very difficult topics. You, prevent, you present them in a way that is kind of a fun and exciting way, not all the time, but fun and exciting ways you know, to learn about it. You're creative with your communications. And I think in a lot of ways, it really can be very, very illustrative how people can present themselves in a way to not only send a message across, but also for people to then, um, you know, act on that. So yeah. 
one aspect of that kind of going along those same lines is people being afraid of another person, especially a person that they know well and that they like saying no, whether it's no to the donation or no to helping with advocacy or, or some version of that. How have you gotten either past that or work, um, work around that issue? You know, you can't always assume, you know, people are ready to donate or even are financially able to donate. You just can't assume those things. You, for me, I just look at it as I'm going to do what I feel is right, put the information out there. I'm not going to hold anyone accountable or be disappointed in anybody um, if they can't do it, if they can't attend or can't share. We all have our lives. We all are busy. We all are doing so much. Um, but it comes to a point where if I see them being performative and like acting and giving visibility to an issue and being so, um, I would say, like trying to just talk about it and saying, oh, this just makes me so mad and angry. I will specifically pay attention for the follow through. And if I don't see that, I will sometimes message them and just be like, hey, like I saw you talk about this issue and you seemed really passionate about it. But like I've shared information about this or events for you to participate in. And I haven't seen you shown up like what's going on. Like, you know, we, we can't have or afford performative people being in these spaces because that's one thing that I have seen, especially from Standing Rock. We had so many people support thousands of people. And my biggest worry, and I don't know if it's the pessimist in me, just because, you know, of a lifetime of, you know, um, Indigenous erasure and whitewashing and, and education of Indigenous peoples and our history and, and, and no one feeling like I felt like no one cared about us is that I was always waiting to see, will these same amount of numbers of people who fought for us, who stood with us in solidarity all around the world and even in Standing Rock, are they still going to be here a year from now? Even, even when they get evicted from the camps and are removed, sadly, which had to happen, are they still going to be fighting with us just as passionately? And sadly, I didn't see that continue. I saw a good number stay and stay in the movement and become even more invested in all of that. Um, but it comes down to performative acts and I'm not about that. And I'm not afraid to bring it up to those specific individuals if I see it and try and get engaged in a conversation where it's just like, what's going on? Like you made all of these public statements. Like I, I don't see you following through. And this is a time where we actually need people to follow through, to fight with us, to stand with us, not just indigenous peoples, but so many communities and peoples that have been oppressed and experiencing white supremacy and racism and systems of, of oppression. And so, um, you know, luckily I've had really good successful conversations with them. Um, and now I'm like seeing them be more proactive, be more invested. And, you know, even if it's their commitments are just being able to share and talk about it, create, use their own platform to um, uplift and elevate those, you know, community gatherings or events or like virtual events or anything, you know, that still helps just as much. Um, that can still mean more than just a donation. Um, so there are so many different ways, but um, one thing I'll just advise is if there's something that you're passionate about or an injustice that you're seeing that you you feel very, you know, emotional and connected to and feeling like it's an injustice, you know, understand that, sit with that, see where that's coming from. And then I would say, you know, push yourself to do something, to learn more, not just books, 
not just a follow on someone's account, but just be more proactive in your education and your support of how you can be supporting and elevating these communities. Because like I said, we don't need performative acts. Right. And what in touching back on what you said early in that that response about the idea of like, hey, someone might not just not be ready yet. You know, someone who might have a big heart that ultimately just that you want to have, you know, part of you know, someone in your corner. No doesn't always mean no. Oftentimes yeah. it just means not yet or yeah. not right now. And they might not express that and maybe they're worried how it's going to come off. So maybe it'll come off as like them just not responding to your email because yeah. they don't want to make you upset, but it yeah. ends up being a not yet as opposed to a no. And I think that's one of the, the valuable pieces with the communication that you, you, you do is that it's constantly out there so yeah. that when someone is ready because a lot of people care about a lot of things. So like, all right, I'm now I'm engaged with this, but now I want to engage with this other thing that I'm also passionate about, you know, and it does provide them the opportunity to do that. Going back to the Boston Marathon 2018, um, that was, I mean, that was remarkable for me for so many reasons. And one of the things that I don't think I, I talked to you about um, post-race when we had our podcast was just like the anxiety it gave me of like, if I was doing, putting myself in that position, the feeling of what if I don't run well and I'm spreading the, this, this this news that I'm, I'm really passionate about, I'm showing up in a way that's very visible to the, the, the racers next to me and the people watching around me. And then but what if I fail or what if I don't run well and the anxiety that would then completely surround me in that situation. Um, Did you ever experience anything like that? And if so, how were you able to mitigate that? uh, So it wasn't something that was going to be a hurdle for you. I, I didn't, I, I went into that race telling myself it's not about a fast time. I'm going to run the way I'm going to run. I'm going to push myself. But I'm not going to look at my watch. I am not going to, you know, care about my performance because Mm. I already had intentions of dedicating this race. I already had the names. I already knew I wanted to offer these prayers. And so um, it was kind of just like, hey, once I hit cross that finish line, if that's a good time for me, I'm going to be happy with it. And, um, you know, I only had five weeks to prepare for that marathon. (laughs) Uh, so I knew I wasn't going to be in like the best shape, you know, competitively wise, but I knew I was going to be able to finish it. And I was training for the San Diego half marathon, which was, you know, five weeks prior to that race. Um, and I had done that race two years in a row. And that was the two races where I dedicated my bib number to the hashtag MMIW, MMIWG each year, hoping that it could spark conversations, which it did with just a couple people, but wasn't enough of that impact that I was hoping for, for change and visibility. And so at the, at the 2019 Boston marathon, it was just about, this is for them. Like I, I crossed that finish line and saw my time and was like really surprised, um, almost breaking three hours. And, um, you know, I had no idea I was even running that pace. I, I thought I was running super slow and just like jogging it in. Cause I wasn't, it wasn't about, you know, having to, run these, these certain paces for each mile. And I, at the end of every like prayer, I tried to enjoy the remaining mile and just be there, be as present as I could be on the course with the people around me. I ended up running by people that I knew other indigenous runners that I knew 
saw my partner and my mom a couple different times and just really loved the atmosphere that Boston always brings. And so I think that's also maybe what like carried me through to not pay attention to my time. Um, but yeah, it was just about running for them. And um, then I would say the hard, the hard, that part of that question came after when I knew that I wanted to share this space with visibility for them, but also continue competing. That's where also that struggle came with performance because my next couple of races after went really good. They were great. Then after that, it was the whole mental health issue that was um, really kind of sidelining me and, you know, training was going well, workouts were going well, but I couldn't put it together on race day. That's when I started freaking out of like, Oh, I'm not performing well because you know, I'm already so exhausted coming into a race, but I had to always remind myself, you know, you can't get upset. You can't be mad at yourself. You're doing the best you can because this is for a greater purpose. This is for a greater cause than yourself. This is, you're running for something higher than your, your own self. And, um, you know, this is the very least that you can do. And hopefully with the right coaching, with the right therapy, with setting boundaries, you'll be able to get to a place where you can still be intentional still give visibility, but also be able to channel into that competitiveness and to perform well on race day. And so I feel like I'm, I'm getting there now, um, trying out different things of like, there's a big difference from when I wear the red handprint on my face and do a prayer run versus when I don't wear the red handprint, because literally when I put that red handprint on, it's literally the weight of every single person that has gone missing. I can feel it emotionally, physically. It's like this 200 pound weight that I feel like it's just sitting on me. And when I don't wear it, I'm able to decompress and to get back to my normal self pretty quickly within a day or two. But when I don't, when I do wear that red handprint, it takes a long time. And um, what also makes it hard too is being able to talk with families that I ran for and like hearing from them specifically and them reaching out to me or, or um, getting messages from them. And that's also the really hard part of how can I read those messages or talk to them, but how can I also be able to compartmentalize everything in a good way? Um, so like I said, healing's not, not linear and I'm figuring it out as I go, but hopefully you know, I'll get to that place where I can do both equally and intentionally um, and still be able to perform the way I want. Yeah. And I would imagine it would always be a topic for you because, you know, you, the reason that you're doing this is because it means so much. And if it means so much, of course, it's going to have this, um, this emotional weight connected to it, right? There, you're never going to be able to completely sever that tie. And if you were, then maybe you should <laughs> Maybe you would be finding a new purpose um, that would have that emotional tie. So I can see why for people who are listening to this or watching this, they might be thinking to themselves like, yeah, but it, it does feel, and burden is too, is too harsh of a word. But th- th- I think the idea of the weight, um, th- th- I can imagine that being a significant issue. Now, when you train or you're doing, that's not even today easy run. Say we're doing a significant workout of some kind, one that you know is directly related to some sort of running goal, you know, further down the line. Do you hearken back to your purpose um, middle of a workout or when things get tough or is it just, is it not there for those instances? It's always there before and after I'm able to 
kind of not think about it in the moment. That way I can kind of just get reacquainted with my own body and my mind and what I'm doing for that specific workout. But I think about it before I go in because that's the reason why I'm running. And I, I think about, you know, those that I've offered prayers to. I think about the next things that I'm going to try and be doing and creating. I think about, you know, my own family, my grandfather who passed away. And that's what inspires me and motivates me to go after that workout, go after that long run, go after that easy run. Um, and so I, I feel like prior into all of 2019, I feel like that's all I was constantly thinking about, even on my runs. And that's what was also wearing me down. And now I'm getting better at that, thankfully. <laughs> Well, thank you for everything you're doing. I really appreciate it. It means so much, to, I know, to so many people and just as a model of advocacy for other people, right, who maybe don't have the same purpose as you, but are able to look and say, what is Jordan doing? Maybe I can do something like that for the things that are really lighting me up or that I have a passion for. And, and I know that it can be, um, you know, having models and, and mentors in this world can be so valuable in so many ways. And, and you're certainly filling that role for a lot of people. So yeah. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on today and, and for sharing all of this with us. Thank you. Can I share one more thing? Please do. Yeah. I just want to say, I, we all have an opportunity to impact change, whether it's big or small, we can always, you know, inspire one person or hundreds of people. And I would say one of the big things that make me the most proudest out of all of this was being able to inspire, you know, high school athlete, Rosalie Fish, who had reached out to me after the Boston Marathon. And she's indigenous. She's now, she just signed D1 with University of Washington after spending two years in Iowa at a community college, junior college. And she's doing so well, but she reached out to me asking for permission to do the same thing. And, you know, this isn't this movement and my prayer runs, I don't own that. And so I felt really honored that she wanted to get my blessing, but I was so excited and happy that she wanted to do the same thing. And um, just being able to inspire her inspired me back and just keeps this cycle of inspiration going all the time of like what motivates us. And so I just want to say to everyone that's going to be watching this, those that are live with us right now, we all have, you know, an opportunity to inspire someone. We all have an opportunity to influence and create that ripple effect of change, big or small, one person or hundreds. And, you know, there are so many different ways to get involved, especially if you want to, um, you know, support the work that I do with Rising Hearts. I know um, we're launching a program in February called Running With Purpose Community Run Club. And it's going to be 25 athletes that we're going to accept in the first cohort. It's an application-based process on our website, www.risinghearts.org. Um, and it'll go live at the end of this month. But it's basically to bring together runners who do have purpose to their running, whether it's MMIW, whether it's Black Lives, whether it's for you know, climate justice, whether it's for, um, you know, uh, Parkinson's disease, whatever it is, um, it's bringing us together to learn from each other, to build community, to be able to support each other, to work with a partner of mine, Elite Feats, who helps us plan our virtual races that we've been doing and hosting the last several months, to work with each individual to host their own race in their own community, to be able to fundraise for their own cause and their own purpose. But it's also inviting other runners 
who may have not intersected their own running platform with something that they care about and that they can come into this space and learn from those that have been doing this and figuring out, okay, how can I get involved? How can I advocate for this issue that I care about so much and how can I interweave it into my running? So they'll get a firsthand experience to learn the experiences of others that have been doing this and being able to have a support system to support them in their own cause. Um, And so I'm really excited for that to launch. We're going to have my running apparel sponsor, Rabbit. They're going to have, we're designing our um, race kits um, for for them to have. We're also going to be working with a coach of mine and their company to offer um, coaching plans for you at a discounted rate that Rising Hearts will will pay for so that you can reach your goals that you want to do. And then we're also going to work with my my shoe sponsor, Ultra, to provide shoes to every athlete. And if they need a pair um, or we can get them discounted and Rising Hearts will compensate for that. Um, And then hopefully if it gets if it's successful, um, we'll be expanding that community. And hopefully it'll come to a point where we have hundreds of running with purpose athletes, um, you know, that are are doing such good work in our communities. And then um, two more programs, please have the running with purpose film series that my partner and I are starting and we're actually filming our first episode in the beginning of March. And it's going to be telling those stories why they're running, who they're running for, what motivates them to get them out the door and to really build community this way so that we can visually and audibly hear what is going on and how we can be inspired. Maybe that'll plant that seed, that idea into someone's head of what they can do, how they can get um, proactive in this movement. Um, And so we're really excited. They're going to be short film episodes, probably 10, 15 minutes, Um, but we're really excited to film our first episode um, in March of an indigenous runner. Uh, but we have so many, we have a big characters cast list of so many different runners um, coming from all different backgrounds. And so we're really excited for that. And then we also just launched the Running on Native Lands initiative and the toolkit. This is going to serve as a additional justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion effort and component within the work that we are doing in our organizationals in organizations, our workspaces, outdoor spaces, running communities, how we can create a better, more supportive and inclusive running community, outdoor community. And it's going to work with race directors, companies that want to work with us in the running spaces that want to partner with Rising Hearts in making the commitment to give land acknowledgements at their races and at their events to go the extra mile and doing any of the remaining five commitments that they can you know, take a stand on. Um, giving back to the communities, building community, but also serve as a stepping stone of how else can we make this company or this space or this product more inclusive and more safe, um, you know, for those that are in these communities that may not feel safe and included. And so we have that Running with Native Lands toolkit and initiative, but we also have the Running on Native Lands virtual 5K, 10K half marathon Um, which is from February 6th to the 14th that you can register for. We have some t-shirts that have been created with the new logo of it that Rabbit is also making, thankfully. Um, And the 5K registration fees go towards the International Indigenous Youth Council of LA chapter. Then the 10K registration fees go towards Run for Brianna. Um, They've been running a 5K every single day since June for Justice for Brianna Taylor. Uh And they're also known as now the Unity Runners. And then the half marathon registration fees go towards Rising Hearts. And then there's a trifecta option where you can register for all three um, at 
$20 each for each um, event, but then it gets evenly distributed to every single org. Um, and then there are opportunities to purchase stickers, to purchase the shirts, to add additional donations, and to be able to learn how you, as an individual, as a runner, as a walker, to implement a land acknowledgement with your social media posts, how you can gain a new perspective of how we view the lands, that they were they are stolen lands, how um, Indigenous communities that have been the original caretakers are still there. We're still here. And hopefully building a better, more inclusive, more supportive community for everybody. So really excited for all of these programs. They're, they all just launched and it's all overwhelming. And that's what I've been really busy with. Oh my gosh. Um, I can't even imagine. I thought this summit was exhausting. You're doing like a million times more than I'm doing. <laughs> um, but it's it's all part of that heart work that I like to call, that I've learned from other relatives, you know, rather than calling it hard, yes, it can feel hard, it can feel stressful, but it's really the hard work that keeps me motivated and keeps me going and wanting to create these platforms and programs for people to participate in. And they're all meant for non-Indigenous folks. You don't have to be just Indigenous. This is about bringing community together. Um, And then we also have the Indigenous Wellness Through Movement series, anything from yoga, we just did powwow yoga yesterday and had nearly a hundred people register for Ocasio's class. You know, everyone from every background that was part of it. Um, we have seven generations flow on Monday. We have uh, gentle grounding yoga on Thursday, and then we're rounding out the last day of January with vinyasa yoga with Ryan. Um, and we're already planning and scheduling for February and March. And so these oh classes God. are all virtual donation based. They're a zoom platform. Any donations that we get will be specifically appropriated for, the program Indigenous Wellness Through Movement. So that way we can purchase that next big plan because uh, right now we can only max out at 100 people to participate. And we're trying to hopefully get that money to purchase the 300 participant account um, because it's just been growing and, and we've been getting an overwhelming response. And we want to make sure that in the wellness spaces, especially now during this pandemic, people have access. It's about accessibility and being able to see people that may look like you being able to learn a different style of movement to practice self-care and self-love and to just be part of community, which is the most important thing. I'm just gobsmacked. So much stuff. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and battling COVID-19 during the day. Um, I don't know what's beneath that rabbit sweatshirt, but obviously some sort of superhero costume. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I will say if you could, if you would be so kind as to send me the links um, for all the stuff that you just mentioned, because obviously you mentioned a lot and I'm not expecting everyone to be writing all this stuff down as they're listening to this. So if you could send me those and then I will be sure to put them in the descriptions of all of these videos, whether it's on the Thinkific site or people are pressing onto the, uh, the unlisted YouTube link and going into the description there. Um, they won't pop up right away. So if you're watching this three hours after we're airing, it probably won't be there yet, but it will be there at some point. Uh, Cause I'm sure there'll be a lot of people just like, myself who would love to 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 do just that in addition you guys are doing merch too i saw tina muir rocking the uh the sweatshirt today yeah on instagram yeah uh we're gonna be doing more that was to fundraise so that way we can keep putting this back into the programming but um i'm already in conversations with some other like designers and we have a lot of material that's been donated of recycled, repurposed, um, you know, shirts and materials because we also want to be 
environmentally friendly and supporting our, our earth. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to hopefully have um, on the new website, risinghearts.org, which I put in the chat, um, we're going to be involving, uh, including the Heartwork Exchange, which is going to not only host Rising Hearts gear and swag, which we're going to have, um, but we're also going to elevate other organizations or individuals' artwork or clothes or whatever it is. Um, so that way we can always be supporting, you know, the local level. We can be supporting the individual um, and supporting the hard work that, you know, makes our communities better and stronger. Wonderful. Jordan, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Thank you so much for having me. Leela Palamayaye. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Uh, I shouldn't say coming on the show. This was part of the Rambling Runner Summit, as you know from listening to the intro. Either way, this conversation was so powerful. Thank you so much. I'm also delighted that OS First is is in the in the Rambling Runner podcast universe. I love their socks. I love their compression sleeves. I'm just a huge fan. Also, the sports backers. These guys are great. They um they did the British Marathon, which is a huge marathon that do so well. They got also a new the new sports backers marathon coming up in just a couple months. Um, or say in, you know in a month or so, they are just kicking some serious butt. And I'm so excited to be working with them because you got the marathon, the half marathon, and the 5K option all in person and kind of their staggered race weekend setup. It's really a delightful way of going about it, and I'm so excited to be working with them for it. So uh, also, head over to Spotify. Go listen to these episodes on Spotify. You can then interact with our little question and answer new thing that they're doing over there. It really is so interesting, and I'm so glad to be part of it. Remember, the question is, if you're doing a race in person before June 1st, which race are you doing? Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.